0: come back to the book of Luke next week, but turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and Philippians chapter 4. Proverbs 16 and Philippians chapter 4. We will be back in the book of Ezekiel this Wednesday night, so if you're able to join us, 6.30 Wednesday. Uh, We're done around 7.30, so it's a great midweek opportunity for you uh, to be refreshed and to uh, have some fellowship, be in the Word, And then we'll be back in Luke chapter 12 next Sunday. Um, This passage today is going to be a really good text for us to discuss on Friday night at our Friday night home fellowships. In addition to the other things that we've gone through uh, in the month of April, um, you guys can fill me more in on Pastor Thomas's, although I will hear his message uh, this week. I'll pull that down myself. But uh, Proverbs 16, will start... Here, verse 3, if your Bibles are open, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. And starting just, uh, I'm just reading one verse in Proverbs, verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Now turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Hold that thought about a verse that says thoughts, Philippians chapter 4, and these are some verses that may be very familiar to you, starting with verse 4, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus, because of your shed blood, we can gather here. And these words mean far more to us than just words. That your Spirit speaks life in them and through them. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, spiritually speaking, open our hearts to receive. And, Lord, to apply and to commit and to do these things, for we know that in them are the words of life. We would desire, Lord, that we would see the peace that you mention here in our life. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would minister now in our midst. In your name we pray, amen. Way back, way back in 1981, for some of you, that's not so way back, but way back in 1981, before there were laptops, and getting work-related emails at 10 o'clock at night. Remember when it was nice when you didn't get emails? You could actually be off work at six or five or whatever it was, before there were smartphones in your back pocket, in your face, before there was texting. They did have pagers then, if you recall, but uh, before there was 24 seven connectivity, before there was 1,000 plus TV channels, before there was YouTube and cloud services and iTunes and Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook and non-stop news, nonstop information, nonstop communication and inundation. Life magazine said this way back in 1981: "Whoever isn't schizophrenic these days isn't thinking clearly." That was 81. People don't even—I don't even know if Life magazine's around anymore. Maybe it is. It is an annual one, but—but if those days had a lot, there's a lot to fill the minds these days, isn't there? And it's not just the world that has a mind that's racing, seemingly unable to be calmed. This is also in the church, isn't it? Believers in us, in this room. But Jesus said this, come unto me and I will give you rest. You think he meant it? I think he did. I believe the Lord wants to renew our minds, instill the mind of Christ in us, to give peace where there's unrest. That we would be different, that we'd be lights of peace and rest in a very unsettled world all around us. Unsettled, discontent, stressed out. We'll see next week as we get back into the book of Luke. You know, Jesus did not promise worldwide peace, did he? Not yet. Not until he returns and sets up his rule and reign. He did not promise worldwide peace. You can have Earth Day, Peace Day, all these things. Churches can come together, but there will not be worldwide peace until he comes to reestablish his kingdom. But he does promise individual peace. So why is it still elusive, even for Christians? I've titled our Time in God's Word today, the place of personal peace. This is a follow-up, if you will, an addendum, an addition to our study of Luke. If you remember back in chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, we looked at things like overcoming worry, anxiety, and fear. Jesus taught on that. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. I've been going over this text in Philippians for a few weeks, just on my own, just kind of looking over it, reading it, thinking through it, meditating, praying over it. And I want us to look this morning at some practical things, some practical steps laid out by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God on how this place of personal peace can actually be found. First off, we have to ask for God's help. Amen? You have to even if you're saved... Even if you have a prayer life, even if you walk, you still have to ask the Lord, Lord, I need your help. But then we want to move forward, and I want to outline three specific ways. Three specific ways. And that's not the first one, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> I got ahead of myself, but three things if you're taking notes. Three things we have to do. Number one, if we go back to what we read in Proverbs chapter 16, I'll reread the verse to you. Commit your thoughts to the Lord, or commit your works to the Lord, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. What does that mean? Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Similarly, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you say, I'll give to missions when I have the heart for it, you will never give to missions. Well, I'll give to the Lord when I have a heart for it. No, you give, and then your heart will change. Jesus says, you just go ahead and have no feel for it, just give it to me, and then watch me change your heart. Well, the same works in our thought life. He says commit the works what works well we're going to look at them in detail in philippians chapter four he's saying you ever paul said work out your salvation work it out with fear and trembling it means to say lord these are the things that you said to do i will begin to do them and over time you're transformed now the transformation of salvation is, is a work that's done once by the Holy Spirit. But this is a work of sanctification, changing us, making us into the image of Christ. But three things we need to do if we really want to move forward in this place of personal peace. Number one, we have to commit to these instructions that we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 4. We have to commit to them. Committing is not saying, you know, when you, you, know, when you ask someone, hey, are you are going to be there? I might be there. You're not going to be there. We know that, right? Well, we're thinking about it. You're not thinking about it. You already thought about it, and you're not coming, right? But when you commit to something, if you sign on the dotted line and says, I sign up for the Marine Corps, you're going to Paris Island. You're getting an all-expenses-paid trip, and there's no backing out. You're committed to it. So you have to commit, saying, I, Lord, with your help, I'm going to follow these instructions. I'm committed to it. Things we commit to are different than things that we, we might do. Number two, we have to purpose to practice them. Purpose to practice them. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to practice, but there's no real intention behind it. Purpose to practice them daily. I'm going to commit to these instructions. I'm going to purpose to practice them. And then number three, and this is important, you have to start and restart. Because sometimes you do stop. And you got to restart. I was eating really healthy. Until Thomas, no, uh, anyway. um, You have to start and restart. Well, we're going to look at the first thing here in Philippians chapter 4. Our text will primarily be in Philippians. You can keep it open there. To be rejoicing, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So rejoice a lot. So much that he uses the word always. In case we forget just how important this is, he says it again. Matter of fact, in the book of Philippians, this small book you know how many times the word rejoice is mentioned? Nine times. Nine times. Remember, Philippi is where Paul got in prison. That's not a rejoicing kind of place. When the Philippian jailer came to Christ. That's something to rejoice about. But even when they were in prison, what were they doing? <coughs> singing. Praising. Rejoicing. Not many people, when they're cuffed and stuffed into a dungeon, begin singing, but Paul had learned To rejoice in all circumstances. And when he meant always, by the Holy Spirit, he meant always. I don't know about you, but I want to rejoice a lot more in my life. Am I the only one? I've never had to learn to practice complaining. It comes very natural to me. I can find a lot of things to nitpick. I can complain about just about anything. I've never had to think about it. It's a skill I was born with, and I bet you were too. But I have to practice rejoicing, don't we? It's not just me. I know all of us. And I bet you if we really stopped and think, we're complaining far more than we think we are. Stop and think what's coming out of our mouths. Is it rejoicing or is it moaning? You know, God was tired of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They always complained and moaned about everything. And yet they had been saved from slavery and saved from the Egyptians and saved from things and fed with manna out of heaven. You talk about healthy food that actually tastes good? I've never had to learn to whine and complain. But rejoicing... It takes an effort. You choose to rejoice. C.S. Lewis said very often the only way to get a quality in reality is start behaving as if you had it already. Very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. We have to learn to rejoice before we feel like rejoicing. And we'll see God transform how we think about the peaks and valleys of life. Rejoicing, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. We choose to obey and rejoice. It's not a feeling. You can feel miserable, a splitting headache, and still rejoice. You really can. This is what Paul is saying, always. You can circle that in your Bible. Always. You mean when everything went wrong today? Always. Hey, this is nine fingers coming back at me too. This message is for us. It's a family discussion, if you will. Number two, after being rejoicing, again, we want to commit to these things. We want to start putting them into practice, and we want to start and restart when we find ourselves wandering away. Number two, take your notes, there's eight of them. Number two is be gentle. This one's kind of an interesting, it almost doesn't seem to fit. Be gentle. Where'd that come from? Let your gentleness be known to all men. We're to be known. People should, one of the characteristics as believers is when an unsaved person looks at you, whether they ever verbalize it, they should think they're gentle. They're gentle, humble, and meek. Why? Well, Jesus was gentle, meek, humble. He had all authority to suppress anybody, he was gentle. He was the one that let the little children come and sit on his lap. Disciple, hey, we don't got time for you guys. It's the adult world we got going on over here. Gentle. We're to reflect him in this world. Is our speech gentle? Is it kind? Is our speech encouraging? Are we cynical in our speech? A little bit biting. Backhanded compliments, which are never compliments, by the way. We know that, don't we? It's funny, we don't like receiving those, but we sure don't mind giving them. But that's not gentle, that's arrogant, it's oppressive. Is our speech harsh? Are you gentle with your spouse, with your children? With family members, family members will push your buttons, and I'm not just talking about. Ins- I'm talking about the extended family, but are we gentle with them nonetheless? Co-workers, even those that rub you the wrong way, neighbors, gentle. Are you gentle with the body of Christ? This is one of the worst things that I've seen over the years. As Christians, can be less gentle with each other than they are with the unsaved world. This ought not be. Jesus said, because you love for one another, men will truly know that you're my disciple. If we can't be gentle with each other, it's a horrible testimony. Not to mention, it really does cause people to toss and turn. Is that what we want? No. Gentle. Paul said, let everyone know you're gentle. It should be well known. It should be a badge of your character. People would say, that person has a gentle spirit. This is not the norm in the world is it. Sometimes I like to watch because I still like business stuff. I like to watch every now and that show, Sharks, where entrepreneurs present their ideas. They're not real gentle with some of them because they are very impressed with themselves and what they've accomplished. Even though every penny they have is but by the grace of God. But there's really good ideas and smart people and all that stuff. But there's no gentleness a lot of times. Because the world isn't about gentleness. The world's about step on someone else to get higher up the ladder. Whatever puts you in the best light. In the best position of power. But Jesus was that way. He went low. Even John said, I must decrease. Take a gentle, accommodating attitude and approach with people. I want to be more gentle on my life in all areas. How about you? It's a mark of Christ. It's a mark of maturing in the Lord, to be gentle. The next one, he says this phrase, right after it says let your gentleness be known to all men, he says, the Lord is at hand. That also seems like a curious insert. The Lord is at hand. Right after, let your gentleness be made known, the Lord is at hand. And then sandwiched between the Lord is at hand is, is then he says, and be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Why does he insert the Lord is at hand there? I'll give you my perspective on it. Be aware, I believe what Paul is Alerting us to is to be aware, to be alert, and to be assured. Why? Why is this important? Well, the Lord at hand, sandwiched between told to be gentle and told not to be anxious. Why there? We're to remember that the Lord Jesus is watching our character. We're going to give an account. Everyone knows this? Everyone believe this? We are going to give an end-of-life review account of our life. He's watching our character. Are we being gentle? Are we rejoicing? But not only is he watching our character and our obedience to his instructions, he's also watching over us. Isn't that good to know? He's not only at hand watching are we doing what we are supposed to be doing, what we've been told and given instructions to do, but he also is watching over us in a protective manner. So Jesus is not lording over us. He is discipling us. He is ensuring that we follow these things, but he also is watching over us in a protective manner. The Lord is at hand. He has our back. Right? And thirdly, and I think that you know, when the Bible, uh, the, the principle du- uh, duality in the Scripture, that the same word or phrase or verse can mean multiple things at the same time, I believe Paul also has in mind, he's also at hand in the sense his return is imminent. That when he returns, remember Jesus says, we'll find the servant working in the manner that he instructed the servant to work. So Paul's cognizant of all three. I believe Paul's cognizant of the fact that the Lord is watching now from heaven. Two, that he has our backs, that we can trust that he's at our side for protection. And three, that his return is imminent. In other words, his power, he has no equal, and he's going to take up his throne, and he rules and reigns, so we know that he has control over all things. So why would we have to be worried? Which is the next part. Where we have this statement, be anxious for nothing. Is anyone here completely 100% anxiety-free? Go ahead and stand so you can tell us all how you did it. Please. Stand up. We would love to hear it. Interesting that Paul says something that I've not met anyone accomplished. Be anxious for nothing. Not a single thing, not anything, nothing. And yet I've not met a living, breathing person that still doesn't have times where anxiety rises up. And yet, it's possible, the Lord is saying, that you could actually see anxiety-free in places you've never seen it before. True? (laughs) That we really could find deliverance from area, in any situation, well, probably not this one, because I've battled with this for years. Yes, that one too. Any of them. We can and must choose to rejoice. We can and must choose to be gentle. We can and we must choose to be aware and alert and remember that the Lord is at hand. But to be assured of something, we have to receive that from the Lord, don't we? Assurance comes from Him. And similarly, to be free of anxiety is given by Christ, the Prince of Peace. To be delivered from anxiety is given by Christ, you can't say, that's it, I'm never being anxious ever again. Starting this moment, I've resolved I will never be anxious again. Guess what happened an hour from now? The car, Both cars just broke down. But you had said you weren't going to be anxious ever again. And it would rise up, wouldn't it? We're told to take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5. But since we're not able to just say, I refused from this time forward to be anxious, worry, no more panic, no more fear, no more stress, I just simply reject it, and even if you've tried that and you know that that doesn't seem to last long, what is the key? Well, the anxious mind is relieved only by the Spirit of the living God. The anxious mind is only relieved by the spirit of the living God and Paul tells us how it works but you got to follow the manual you've got to do what it says you've got to commit to those things put them into practice and start and restart and stay with exactly the Lord's instructions they'll never fail heaven earth will fail these words will not fail so, we want to be anxiety free, but that's just a setup statement by Paul of how it works. And this is it right here. In concert with the other things we mentioned, you have to be rejoicing, you have to choose to be gentle, be prayerful with supplication plus thanksgiving. We'll say, what happens if I subtract one of these? It falls apart. This is an all-or-nothing proposition from the Lord. God God loves us enough to give us the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And he says, look, if you're willing to receive, you will receive what you ask for. You have not because you ask not. And then when you ask and God says, I'll tell you how, you say, well, I don't like that answer. But he's not going to come back with, well, since you didn't like that, I'll give it to you this way. You don't have to be thankful, you just, just pray. No, it all comes together. Prayer, what is prayer? Well, prayer is essentially talking to God and listening to God as He speaks to us, primarily through the Word. Many of the great men of God, D.L. Moody, and others said it's impossible to have a prayer life without a Word of God life. It's true, they go hand in hand. That's where God speaks back to us. But also that still small voice of the Spirit that can be while you're you know, in the kitchen washing a dish, The Spirit can still be speaking. Prayer is talking to the Lord, but the Lord's speaking back to us. There are various forms of prayer. There's worship and praise in our prayer life. There's asking, and this is essential all the time, for cleansing and forgiveness. Forgiving of our trespasses. There's making petitions and requests in a multitude of areas. I go on and on about the things that we request, whether it's for the persecuted church or People that have sicknesses and divorces. And there's lots of so the petitions and requests. That's all in there. And Paul mentions that anyway. Make your request known unto God. But Paul's first says, pray through and about everything. We have a lot to learn in this, don't we? Pray through and about everything. Have continuous prayer and communication with the Lord. Now, we don't always have this. Because a lot of times, I remember I prayed at 8.20 this morning, and now it's 8.20 tonight. I can't remember thinking about God once today. That's the real world, right? We've all been there. I was there yesterday. Paul's like, that is not going to work. It's learning to practice, just like you don't have to learn to practice complaining, that will come naturally. You don't have to learn to practice not to pray. You will automatically know not to pray. It's built in you to know nothing. Do nothing but heads down on what I'm doing. I've got my checklist of things today, that's going to get done, and when I get it all done I have time to pray. Paul's like, you can continue on that rat trail if you want, but you'll be the hamster on the proverbial... Circuit, or whatever it's called. He says, pray through and about everything. Have continuous prayer and communication with the Lord. Cultivate a life of talking constantly to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, Paul says it this way. Pray without ceasing. This was the key that how he could read. Immediately he could rejoice in the Philippian jail. Why? Because he was always in communication with the Father. Same as Jesus was. I don't know about you, but I want to pray more. Is that just me? I want to pray more in my life. Prayer indicates that we're truly dependent upon God. If you don't pray and I don't pray, then it means we don't really depend on God. We depend on us, which is a pretty faulty thing because us ain't so good. Hudson Taylor said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. And God used Hudson Taylor in a great way. Supplication. Now, what is that? Paul says, prayer and supplication. What is supplication? Supplication refers to a specific attitude of prayer. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54, we have this. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven. Supplication is not the same as prayer, though it's part of prayer, connected to prayer, and in the same area of prayer. So supplication is prayer, and yet it's different. Why? Well, the picture of supplication is that of kneeling, Of submission, of humbling oneself before the throne of the Lord. That's supplication. You ever seen someone really bowed down, completely bowed down, prostrate? This is the way Abraham or Moses would come before the Lord? And they had a really close relationship with God, didn't they? But yet their supplication was a humbled position. We have to develop the time the habit, we have developed the habit of taking time to truly humble ourselves before the Lord in earnest, set-apart, dedicated, devoted time. This is not the same as just communicating throughout the day with the Lord, although that's important too. There has to be times where we set aside for supplication, consecrated prayer to the Lord. This is what Paul, that's why he says both, prayer and supplication. There's no substitute here. Otherwise, we'd have to remove supplication from the list that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul. And we can't do that. So we can't remove supplication. We have to say, Lord, how do I then begin to implement supplication in my life? We can't have a lifetime of five-minute popcorn prayers although those are very important and needed at times. When we go into Bon Air, sometimes you can only pray for two minutes down, walking down the hall, and that's important. That's not a time of supplication. That's a time of, Lord, I need your help. I'm about to walk in this cell. Hey, I just ran into someone, so, Lord, I need your help. What do I say? That's different supplication. He's saying you still have to have those times you dedicate for a devoted time of prayer. On our knees is a great place. Not everybody can do that, but certainly we can be on our knees in our heart. We have to have days. Now, there are going to be days, I should say. There's going to be days where you can't have that set-apart time. I know that. The Lord knows that. But we have to invest in times of dedicated supplication. If we want to find that place of personal peace, this is imperative. Everything on the list, this this is God's inspired word. Everything on the list counts. Lord says, follow it, and you'll find joy. You'll find peace. Well, you know, man, I, all this time, I was doing everything but supplication. Yeah, Lord says, I've been asking you to do that. You'll be blessed. But not just with prayer, also with thanksgiving. I don't have to learn. You don't have to learn to be unthankful. We're very unthankful. We forget all the ways God has blessed us just this past week. But we'll remember a couple of things that went wrong. Right? We'll remember them like they're the only thing that happened. I think back about people that have helped me in my life. And I was like, wow, I act like no one's ever done this, that, and the other. And a lot of people have helped me. How about you? Thankful. Thankful. Thankful that the person that, if you're saved and someone invited you to church, thankful that you have something to eat. Thankful that you're gathered here this morning and you're not laying in a hospital bed. And you have the chance to worship the Lord. You have the chance to fellowship. Thankful for so many things, Paul's saying, in your prayer life. Yes, have a constant communication with God. Take time to set aside and supplicate. Really bow your face before the Lord and worship Him in humility, but also Give thanks a lot. This goes with rejoicing, too, doesn't it? Rejoicing and thanksgiving are very, very connected, very hand-in-hand. Hand. And so Paul exhibited this in his life, but he experienced the peace because of it. Now he goes on. Let your request be known. We talked about petition. I'm going to skip verse 7. We're going to come back to it. And the peace of God, we want to come back. We want to hit peace the very last part. But let's look at verse Eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So, we want to be pure in thought and meditate on things praiseworthy. Now this verse alone excludes the vast amount of entertainment music, and literature. Wouldn't you agree? This verse alone excludes the vast amount of American entertainment, music, and literature. And there's, there's some stuff out there that's morally neutral. You know, sporting events, certain shows. I, I'm, not, I'm not down on I'm not saying that you should go chuck your TV or set it on fire this afternoon or something like that. But you should be very, very wise because Satan wants you to meditate on his things, doesn't he? The world wants you to meditate on their things. Your flesh already wants to meditate on those things. You don't have to have any. The devil doesn't make us do most of the things we do because we already want to do those things. We want to meditate, and we also want to meditate on things that are just worthless. They're not praiseworthy, or they're not immoral, but they're also not praiseworthy. They're just nothing. They're wood, hay, and stubble. They're poof, gone tomorrow. And so we can actually get, re- say, well, I don't, I don't really get into the immoral stuff. I just get into the worthless stuff. Well, that's what Jesus would say. Is it praiseworthy? Well, it's not really praiseworthy, but it occupies my all my life. He's like, well, then it's not noble. There's nothing noble about something that has no value. It has to have value. The enemy wants people constantly connected to things that are either immoral or of no value. God wants us to constantly meditate on things that have eternal value. As Christians, we can avoid all the other things the immoral things, the irreverent things, the false things. But if we don't replace them with true things, noble things, praiseworthy things, then eventually we're going to drift right back to them anyway. They have to be replaced. That's why Paul says meditate. This takes intention. He says I'm going to think about godly things all the time. And by the way, this will be a lot easier if you're communicating and pray, praying all the time with God, right? Because then God will only, He'll only give you things that are praiseworthy, noble, just, pure. He'll never give us anything worthless. It'll all be of value. Now, of course, as believers, we live in perhaps the time closing to the return of Christ. I mean, we, we looked at the prophecy things uh, back in the fall, uh, what's taken place in Israel since 1948. We live in the time that the Lord may very well return. We know that as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We're in many respects. We see the things that were happening then are happening again today. We live in a very evil world. We're told to be watching. We're told to be ready. We're to be aware of the evil days that we're living in. So why? Well, so we can pray and intercede. We're to be like Noah. We're to be like... Uh, When Abraham prayed, interceded for Sodom, we have to be those that are standing in the gap. So we're aware of all that's going around us, but we can't be dominated by the bad news around us either. Does that make sense? You're aware of it, but you cannot be dominated by the bad news all around us and the fact that the world is in fact a sinking ship. We can't be dominated by that. If it was true that we're to be dominated by that, then this verse wouldn't be here, would it? But this verse is very clear. Paul is saying, Paul lived in a really wicked time under the Roman Empire, under a guy named Nero. If you ever read about Nero? He's as wicked as they have ever been, and yet Paul was not dominated by thinking about Roman crucifixions, even though he never stopped preaching Jesus Christ crucified. There's a balance that the Holy Spirit will help us strike when we meditate on things that are pure and godly and noble and just So we can't be dominated by doom and gloom. We're to think on things that are praiseworthy, and we're to have a spirit of rejoicing and thanksgiving. Do you see how these things connect? Where the Lord's like, I want you, when people meet you, I want them to say, tell me about the reason for the hope that lies within you. That's what the Lord is saying. When they say, why are you rejoicing? Why are you happy? Can't you see that it's all hell in a handbasket? Say, yeah, I'm aware of that. And that's why I want to tell you about Jesus. It's a dichotomy in a sense. How are we supposed to be so watching, so ready, so aware? I have to preach prophecy things in the pulpit, but I also, the Lord says, yes, and you still have to be kind, gentle, rejoicing, and not doom and gloom. That's what Paul's saying. Good report. Lovely. We're to talk about good reports. You want to talk about something good? Talk about the gospel called good news what things can we practice thinking of that are praiseworthy pure well, we can talk about the glory of Jesus Christ isn't that worth it we can talk about his gospel well I already know the gospel so I don't need to talk about that well we know everything else we talk about too we keep talking about that right We talk about the same stuff. Go back and listen to yourself 10 years from now. I'm still talking about this? Your family's saying, you're still talking about this? Let's talk about the gospel more. Let's talk about his coming. Let's talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Let's talk about God is in control of all things. These things will bring a smile onto your face, not have you run and hide. Amen? Be pure in thought. But he says something else here. We're coming to a close. He says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me... Paul, that's kind of prideful, isn't it? Who do you think you are? He thinks that's something he said in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who walk as you have walked. Verse 17, verse 29, he says... Hold such men in high esteem. Speaking of Epaphroditus. Hold them in a high esteem. Why? Well, we have to have people in our life that are even more mature in the Lord than us. I have people in my life that I know are more mature than me. One of them was Thomas Powell here last week. Been preaching for 30 some years. I love talking to him and picking his brain and how do I handle this problem and that kind of stuff? We are to be learners and sponges of godly saints. Paul says this is, a, this is part of the imperative list. Who in your life are you regularly around that challenges you to grow in the Lord? Well, nobody. That's not a good answer. It's not hard. You start to fellowship with believers that are strong in the Lord. I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley last night. You guys like to listen to Dr. Stanley? He's a great teacher. I, I learn good things watching men. that, he, Like Pastor Chuck, he seems to just say the same quiet things. And I'm like, why does it not come off that powerful when I say that? Anyway, maybe it will when I'm 60-something. I don't know. But Chuck and Dr. Stanley will say something simple. I'm like, wow, that was really profound. (laughs) A Three-word sentence, great. But he said last night, he said, we all need encouragers. He was talking about Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas was known as always encouraging people. Are we encouragers? And if we aren't, are we around people that are spiritually mature to encourage us? Paul's saying the things which you learners... Paul was always getting people to go farther. You can do it. You can do it. You saw me do it. I'm a man just like you. I used to be a persecutor. You can do this, Paul would say. Not through you. How does he say? Well, just a few verses later, he says how it happens in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ Christ. Who strengthens me same chapter four verses later i can do all things through christ paul says so can you but you're going to have to surround yourself with people that you can learn from people that are strong mature believers are there people that you're learning from so i don't learn from anybody i just learn from the bible that's not biblical if you read the bible we well, would know that you also learn from people people that are mature in the lord are there strong? strong believers in your life? Are there people you can look to who are consistently modeling gentleness, rejoicing? You ever meet a really rejoicing person? Thomas Powell is one. Did you see him last week? The guy is full of rejoicing. Every time I call him, yo, bro, what's up, man? How are you?" I get happy just if I, you know. I have to fake it even if I'm not. <laughs> By the way, faking it's good. Because it makes you go back to what you should be doing anyway. Oh, I feel like I'm faking it. Well, maybe you should because you would actually help someone else not be in the same doldrum you're in. People that are modeling these Christ-like characteristics are so important. Uh, That's why I want to learn from, I don't know Dr. Stanley, but I can still learn from him. But, there's, but I can't be just someone on the TV or someone on the radio. It has to be people in my life personally, people in your life personally. That's why the Friday nights are so important. So you get to hear from so a, cloud, a mini cloud of witnesses, if you will. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We know that's true. You hang out with uh, people that are thinking things that are worthless, doing things that are worthless, you'll think along the same lines. But the reverse is also true. Proverbs 27:17, Iron sharpens iron. You get with those that are like-minded and collectively, you sharpen one another. And it says a man sharpened the countenance of his friend. The countenance changes. We need encouragers. You should read biographies. Say, well, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how I can have faith in this. Go read about George Mueller. And read it again. Read it two or three times and say, wow, that guy really had faith. And you'll be like the little girl. this true story. Little girl, she says, Lord, and I pray that you'd make me like George Mueller. <laughs> you can pray that way. Lord, I pray that I have Paul's kind of rejoicing capability. You know, God says you can. Paul's not different than you. That's why James wrote, Elijah was a man just like us. It wasn't different. He just put it into practice. John Maxwell wrote, most people who decide to grow personally find their first mentors in the pages of books, pages of scripture first, and biographies of saints that have gone before us in a great second place. You want to see mentors? Go read about Hudson Taylor. Read about C.S. Lewis. Read about men like uh, women, uh, Amy Carmichael, that have gone before us. I want to close with this. We want to be at peace. We want to revisit this. He says, Paul says, if we do these things, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. Do we believe this? That actually putting these things into practice, God will show us Personal peace, not peace all over the world because that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back but personal peace that you and I can walk in peace when everyone else is flipping out Losing it Stressed out maxed out all those things. We can actually find this place of personal peace. We want to be at peace. Why? Because it's the will of the father Jesus came that we might have peace It allows us think about this too. Brothers and sisters, it allows us to serve Christ unfettered by the chains that the enemy wants to put us in. He wants us in chains of anxiety, depression, fear, stressed out, all of these things. What else? Well, when we're walking at peace, we'll see more lives transformed around us. When we're walking in peace, we see clearly. It's like putting a pair of glasses on. Whoa! The first time I put glass on, I was like, hey, well, I, now I know why that screen was there. I thought that they put it way too far away. <laughs> what kind of peace? Well, that peace that surpasses understanding. This is interesting. That's, I, I got to thinking about this. Peace that surpasses understanding. This is interesting because a lot of our fears and anxieties and stress defy logic. True? If we could have peace that surpasses understanding, it makes sense because most of our fears are illogical. They don't make sense either. We even ask ourselves, why am I bothered by this? You ever done that? So the peace is just as mysterious because it comes from the throne of God. It displaces the illogical with that which is hard to understand because God says, you've been trying all the wrong things. You thought you could fix it by making more money. You thought you would fix it if you got that promotion. You thought you would fix it if you just got that relationship. You thought you would fix it if you could have a TV binge for 12 hours and you found at the end of it, you were more depressed than when you started. Right? That's what the Lord is saying. It surpasses understanding. We can't understand this kind of peace that God sends, and yet he sends it, and it replaces worries fears, anxious thoughts. I call it a very good trade. One mystery that I don't understand where these fears and anxieties come from replaced by something that I still don't understand how God just supplies peace. Because we're not talking about a tangible object like this wooden pulpit. It's in the realm of thought life. And it all comes by committing our works that our thoughts would be established. Amen? Works first, then the thoughts come. Oh, I'll get the thoughts right first, and I'll do the work. No, nope, it doesn't work that way. Put these things into practice. With peace comes the power of God. With peace comes contentment. With peace comes confidence. But remember, we have to first commit. When we do so, we honor the Lord, and we see His will accomplished in our life. It has to be intentional. has to be a step of faith. And it has to be for His glory, not just for us. Listen to these words that I close from Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers says, Have you deliberately committed your will to Jesus Christ? It is a transaction of the will, it's not an emotion. Any positive emotion that results is simply a superficial blessing arising out of the transaction. If you focus your attention on the emotion, you'll never make the transaction. He says, You have to commit to believing that what God's will says, when put into practice, Will complete the transaction. Say, well, I I, I want the emotional part of it. That that comes later. Commit your works first, then the thoughts will be established, Proverbs 16.3. Commit to it, purpose to practice it, start and restart, go back and reread and meditate on Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, all this week, and say, maybe all through the rest of this year, say, Lord, if I follow this all year, what will you do? I believe we'd see transformation. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is faithful and true, that you would never tell us something if it weren't so. And Lord, we thank you that you've entrusted your servant Paul with these truths, that each and everything of it matters, Lord, that we would be rejoicing, that we'd be gentle, that we'd be aware that you're at hand. Lord, we'd be more prayerful with supplication and thanksgiving. Lord, we'd be meditating on things that are praiseworthy, yes, aware of the evil days and interceding for them, but yet, Lord, not dominated by them. And also, Lord, that we'd be a sponge learning from those that are already before us in the faith, that are practicing things, that are walking worthy. And they would be our encouragers and our strength and the iron that sharpens iron. Lord, we pray that as we commit to these works, our thoughts of peace will be established. Lord, we'll be more useful in reaching our neighbors and family members and bringing the same peace that we've received to those that don't have it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.